blah, 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 blah. This is one of those themes we're going to let go. Okay? We're just going to let it go. Yep. Because, blah. Hey, Maniacs. Midsummer Maniacs is a recap podcast dedicated to IPTV's series, Midsummer Murders. Each week, we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. I'm Mark. I'm Sarah. And this week, we're talking about Season 13, Episode 5, Masterclass. And we got to start with a warning. We have to. This this is probably the most hated Midsummer episode. Justifiably so. There are some heavy themes in it, it is, that we're just going to ignore, okay? It is, <laughs> it is populated by victims of horrible crimes. It, it is problematic, to say the least, but we're going to try to make it fun. They, it's, it's like they almost try to get Nazis in here. Yeah. To make it even as bad yeah. as that. Yeah. Yes, we understand that this is some heavy topics. And yes, we understand that, you know, it's triggering for some people. And yeah. we're, we are aware of all that, but we are just going to move past that and look into the background of yeah. this show. Know that we acknowledge that those themes are there and we understand how heavy they are and how important they are, but they are not in line with the tone of our show, and so we're just gonna skim past it. The, the thing that really angers me today about this episode, after watching it again, and I gotta tell you, it was tough to get through. After watching it again, I'm pissed that this is one of Barnaby's last episodes. Yeah. It's, it is a crappy Midsummer episode. Yeah. it's it Not only does it deal with some themes that are just way not fun for Midsummer, but... It's also just not a very good kind of mystery. There's no mystery to it at all. Yeah. But there are some awesome midsummery things buried in there. And we're going to dig them out and we're going to have a lot of fun. Trust us. So if you don't like this episode, if you think it's too heavy, if you find it disturbing, don't worry. We're not going to talk about that stuff. We're going to talk about the fun bits. But before we dive into the episode, we need to remind you that... As Mark just mentioned, we only have three more Tom Barnaby episodes to go. Only three more Joyce Barnaby episodes to go. And we would love to hear from you about what your favorite moments are, not only for Tom, but for Joyce, too. We're not going to talk about George because George is actually in a few more episodes after Tom and Joyce leave. Yes. We would love to have audio from you. So record an audio memo on your phone or something like that and just email it to us at midsummermaniacs at gmail.com. And we've we've received audios and they are amazing and definitely going to be on the episode. Yes. So, you know, there are people who have already submitted audio who will definitely be included in that episode. And if you want to be one of them, send us some audio. Yes. So. If you can't do that, send us an email, post a message on Facebook or Reddit or Twitter, wherever you want to. Yeah. But audio would be awesome. We would yep. love to have your voices included in that final episode about Tom and we, Joyce. We are a podcast. And if you can only do video, make a video and send it to me and I can take the audio off of it. Yep. Yeah. You can do so. that kind of magic. I have the skills. Mm-hmm. This episode filmed in February, March, 2010. Broadcast 6 October 2010, 6.1 million viewers, directed by Rennie Rye. Now, 
it's written by Nicholas Martin. I'm like, he's written a couple episodes. So I looked at the episodes he, he wrote, and he wrote Black Book, which okay. is okay. Yeah. And he wrote this episode, which is... And then by no coincidence, I'm sure he wrote the probably second least liked episode of Midsummer, which is Night of the Stag. Oh. I, I really don't know what Nicholas Martin is trying to do with this show, but I don't think he's ever seen it. I don't think... I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say they told him we want an episode about X and he just had to do what he could. I guess. <laughs> and it wasn't his idea. Because <laughs> master classes... Whew. Whew. Okay. So if you don't remember, because you've blocked it out of your memory, this is the episode with a very exclusive piano school where these piano prodigies have come to this manor house to participate in the winter school Yes, with Sir Michael um, Fielding, because he is, uh, I, I guess, supposed to be some prominent pianist. We don't really see him play all that well. And when he does, he kind of makes mistakes. But anyway, like so we the, see shots of him on the piano and stuff, but yeah. those are like headshots of the actor. Yeah. So the kids come, they audition. If they make the cut, 12 of them get into what they call the winter school, which I, th I think is like three weeks or something like that. Yes. And then of them, three students are chosen to attend the master class, which is one-on-one -on -one instruction with Sir Michael for a couple of weeks. And the winner of those three, the best of those three, is supposedly like guaranteed to have an international career as a pianist. That's the frame up. That's what you need to know. I and know of course, this... Joyce is involved. Well, before that, <laughs> before Joyce, of course, I'm struggling to even get to this episode. And they started the Costing Concert Hall, which is our first appearance of the Costing Concert Hall. And outside, there's a bunch of flyers and posters. So, of course, I'm interested in seeing what's there. And they, the Midsummer Musical Theater is putting on Guys and Dolls. So do you know what Guys and Dolls is about? I'm not that familiar with it, no. It's uh, Chicago Gangsters in the 30s. Okay. So it's I like Bugsy Malone, kind of. Kind of. I would love to see <laughs> British people doing guys and dolls. <laughs> yeah, see, I got a gun here. You know, I want your money. It's that, <laughs> plus the, the heroine is a character who's in the Salvation Army. Mm. So it's that sort of cross of The good gangsters. guys versus the bad guys. Yes, and the gangster falls in love with her, and he's like, you shouldn't love me because I'm so terrible and you're so great and stuff like that. And this, this led to a movie. There was a movie made of guys and dolls. It was famous on Broadway for years and years and years. And then they made this movie, which at the time was seen as the most expensive production at that time. Uh -huh. Like a million dollar check was important in the making of this movie. Wow. And it stars Frank Sinatra, a person who sings. Yes. A person who dances. Yes. A suave cat. Yes. Okay. And you could see him in a gangster yeah, thing. Okay. Totally. And, and, and Marlon Brando. <laughs> Who is not known for his singing or dancing. No, he does sing and dance in this production. And though. how's that go? Uh, about as well as you would think it would, <laughs> it would go. He, he, he does a lot of acting between singing and dancing parts. Okay. If it ever came out that he did not sing those lines, I you would not be, be surprised. surprised at all. <laughs> well, they're going to put it on Midsummer, so they must feel like they've got the chops to do it. So let's have an audition to a really expensive, really exclusive school. Mm -hmm. And these are more or less children. Yeah. I know they're adults, but 
They're but more, I think they're supposed to be like 16 to 19, something like yes. that. Yeah. And probably the most important audition of their lives. To that point, yeah. Let's open it up to the public. <laughs> what? Well, they're all going to be great pianists, so you could go and listen to music for the day. But creepy Miriam and Constance get to be the judges. So Miriam and Constance are really the killers. They're the evil sisters. They're really spy versus spy. Yes. There's a dark one and a light one. Yeah, yeah. One of them is like, I've got lots of beads on and I wear things with ruffles. And the other one's like, I wear a power suit and smoke cigarettes. And make jokes about genocide. Like, this is how the episode starts. Yeah, yeah. One of the kids plays and one of the sisters says, that was memorable, like witnessing genocide. And that kind of sets the tone. Yep. (laughs) So Zoe, who is our... Our main female character Mm -hmm. gets up and starts to play and plays like not even an intro, like eight bars of music. Yeah. And then just squirts blood everywhere out of her (laughs) nose. She plays enough for Miriam and Constance, the evil sisters, to be like, she's the one. Well, no, because we later find out that they had already picked her. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if they hadn't had this audition process in school before, I would think it was set up just to lure Zoe there since she's the daughter granddaughter of their dad. So there's three. She's their sister cousin. There's three main contestants. (laughs) There's Zoe, Mm -hmm. who has parents Mm -hmm. who are... Nice and likable people. Yes. They're they're Terry and Don Stock. And it is said in almost every scene that Terry was in special forces. I don't know why. No, no. He wasn't in special forces. He was a special constable. Oh, he was a special constable. Yes. That's what that means. Like he was was a reserve police person. Do you think he would learn how to drive when he uh, had no brakes in that particular? Probably not. I would think he would. No, they're like special deputies. So then you have Francesca, who is the pretty girl. Yes. And her father, Simon Sharp, who is the niggling, overprotective helicopter. He's not a helicopter parent. He's more like a Goodyear blimp parent. Yeah. He just kind of hovers on top of her all the time. And then you have Penelope Guest, who is Ben and... Sorry, who is Orlando's mom, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So you so. have so the the four students who are important are Zoe, the main character, Francesca, the other girl, and then two boys, uh, Orlando, who makes it into the final three, and Benedict, who is the outcast, doesn't have parents, the dark taught horse. himself to play piano, yes, um, but is still talented and doesn't get chosen for the top four to go to the special master class. Top three. Top three, three, sorry, yeah. Okay, we have these auditions, which are creepy, and then we find out that Sir Michael is creepy also. Yeah. Played by... James Fox. James Fox, who is Lawrence Fox's dad. Mm-hmm. If you've been following around British entertainment news, you know Lawrence Fox has kind of gone off the deep end a bit here. Lawrence Fox makes me sad. Yeah. I liked him so much as Hathaway and Lewis. But now, as a person, he's gone off the rails in he's, such a bad way. and oh. He's made Lewis unwatchable. Yeah, yeah. And his... Okay, so James Fox is his dad, and he has a, another brother who is also an actor. Yes. And then he has a sister who is a, an actress and a producer who's married to Richard Iowati. Yes. Who, if you've ever seen the IT crowd... 
or oh, he's been in so many things. He's so funny. And I just can't imagine like holidays at the Fox house with Richard Iowati there. <laughs> I feel bad it's for a, him. It's a weird family and they're all married to each other. Yeah. Wait a minute. It's the episode. No, no, no. You can't say that about them. But let me go back for a second to Terry Stock, who is Zoe's dad. He's played by Ian Pulston Davies. British people will know him immediately because he was in over 500 episodes of Coronation Street. Oh. Like he is one of the main characters of Coronation Street. But he's also recently been in The New Magritte's with Rowan Atkinson playing Magritte. Oh, those are so good. If you haven't watched them, they are so good. You think Mr. Bean as a serious French detective, he's great. He is it it, it shows how great a dramatic actor Rowan Atkinson Atkinson. Atkinson is. Yeah, yeah. So you should definitely check them out. They're they're fantastic. And there's not enough of them. No, but they're really good. Yep. Anywho, so we get... <laughs> so why is Joyce there? Joyce is... <laughs> I don't know, because what she's doing, both at the school and at this audition, would be a paying job by the school. I would think so, but... She's clearly volunteering. I kind of feel like Joyce just walks around with a clipboard and insinuates herself into things. I think so. Like, I want to be part of this and I have a clipboard, so they're going to put me to work. And everybody always does because everybody needs volunteers. (laughs) So, of course, Joyce is there at the side of the stage announcing all of the kids who are going to audition. And when they when they pick the 12, then she's suddenly at the school, too. So then there's like a lunch at the school, and the sisters are serving lunch, which is weird. They are the worst lunch ladies ever. They are. <laughs> it's like if the evil stepsisters from Cinderella worked in a cafeteria. <laughs> but they're not evil enough. They're not goofy evil. I wish they were more evil. <laughs> okay. So let's just talk about them for a second. Okay. All right. So, yes, they are dark and light, but both evil, right? Yeah. <laughs> they don't even look remotely related at all. Yeah. And they have been raised by Sir Michael, who is a eugenicist molester. Oh. He's just, he's horrible. Okay. Yes. But they've been raised by him. And it's clear that he has raised them with the intent of putting them to use. Yes. Right? <laughs> because neither of them were good enough at piano. Yes. They have to serve other purposes. To be killers. So they've been trained to be his henchmen, right? They are. They might as well be Batman 66 henchmen. (laughs) So I could just imagine them as little girls like, Daddy, what do you want us to do today? Today, girls, we're going to learn to garrot people. Okay, Daddy. You know, (laughs) just. So because of this, I looked into sister killers. Uh Uh-huh. Because it had to, like... I can see sibling killers, two brothers being like, okay. Yeah, yeah. We're going to beat this guy up or this guy's beating my brother up. So we're 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 going to take him him out. Yeah, Yeah, or something like that. But sisters, not so much. Sisters, not so much. I came up with two really super interesting cases. Okay. So the first one, they're called the Scissor Sisters. Nice. You know... I've got Scissor Sisters in my notes for a completely different reason. Oh, that's interesting. Because they're a band. Yes. The Scissor Sisters. And they meant, they have a song um, called Don't Feel Like Dancing. Yes. Don't feel like dancing, dancing. And they mention the old Joanna, which is the Cogni rhyming slang for piano that Jones uses in this episode. 
Wow. Crazy. Okay, so who are the real Scissor Sisters? Linda and Charlotte Mohall. They're from Dublin, Ireland. Okay. And oh, they are they are characteristic mid 2000s. Oh, they're recent. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They are like So they were named after the band. I think so. Cuz the band's been around longer than that. I think so they are like the Darby girls on acid. Oh. Smoking, hair in a bun, leather jacket. <laughs> They're like, trouble, huh? <laughs> trouble. Who do they kill? They killed their mother's boyfriend. Their parents broke up and her mother their mother got a new boyfriend who was abusive to them. And they planned and killed him. Oh boy, did they kill him. They <laughs> cut off his head and his penis. <gasps> And then cut up the rest of the corpse, dismembered it, and dumped it into the Royal Canal. How old are they when they do this? Oh, they're like, they're like women. I would say they're in their 20s. Okay. Where a piece of leg still wearing sock was spotted floating down the river 10 days later. Oh, my gosh. They're in jail now. They, they were like, oh, yeah, we did it. Yeah, we did that. He deserved it. He was an abuser. He deserved it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, wow. So then that led me also to a much older story, I think far more interesting, which is Christine and Leah Pepin, okay. which are French. It's during the 30s. Okay. And they are two sisters who are maids in this house. Okay. In the big house. So they're and, servants. And the man of the house is away uh-huh. somewhere. I don't know. I, I want to... There's a couple of books I want to read about this case because it gets super interesting. The cops arrive and find the woman of the house at the bottom of the stairs with her eyes gouged out. Oh my gosh. And placed around the room. That, that's not an accident. She didn't fall. No. And her eyes popped out and flew across the room. <laughs> no. Foul play is afoot. <laughs> they find the little girl of the house in the same state upstairs in her room. Oh my room. gosh. Yeah. So they're like, there's a freaky killer. They're freaking out, right? This yeah. is 30s. They're they're looking for... They're looking for Aleister Crowley or something. And they find Christine and Leah naked, cuddling in their bed, asleep. I've heard this story. Yeah. I know this story. And then they, they, they don't talk, right? They don't talk. They don't say anything except to each other whenever they're with each other. And they talk. It is reported that they talk like lovers but like in a secret language yes. almost almost like in a secret language and then later on after years in prison when they get together one other time they one of them starts to have a fit and try to gouge her own eyes out mm-hmm. and the other sister is like see this is what happened we just went into this weird state where we were, we don't remember what happened. We This is something took over us. Wow. So Sartre and uh, there are all sorts of uh, sort of postmodern philosophy people are interested in this story too, because it's seen very much as one, possibly an anti-gay thing. But they're sisters. But it's also seen as a class thing. 
which, you know, French philosophers in the yeah. postmodern period are super obsessed with, right? Well, they, Miriam and Constance aren't that bad, They, uh, I guess. Wow. They, they don't gouge anybody's eyes out. That, I read that. <laughs> and, and like everything you read about that story, the next thing you're like, oh, oh, what? Oh. What? <laughs> yeah. Then what? <laughs> we get to the house and then there's... There's almost this amount of machinations. By the way, I have Joyce has a clipboard in my notes. <laughs> There's all these machinations to get people running around in the forest. Yes. Which is not just any woods. Like, it, it feels Shakespearean in its... Yeah, it's almost like a Midsummer Night's Dream. Like, yeah. meet me at 10. Okay. Yeah. You know, we'll yeah. meet in the bird hide when yeah. it's dark. But these aren't just any woods. These that, are the Devington woods. That, these are the same woods where the race from the St. Mally's Day, murder on St. Mally's Day happens. Yes. So these are these are Spoonman woods. Spoonman woods. And that is not a bird hide. It's a booty hide. <laughs> You'd think after years of hosting this camp at their house, they would know teenagers are going to find those places. You, you, you go into that hide and it immediately starts to play Barry White music. Chicka, chicka, bow, wow. Like, did he bring a bag with all that shit in it? All the candles yes. and the booze and everything? Is Orlando. His mom probably packed it for him. Oh. His mom probably put it in the hide for him. Anyway, we have to get to the worst part of the episode that we could talk about, which is the whole bridge drowning child vision quest remembrance thing. Oh. To which... The biggest thing in my notes is, that's a nice bridge. <laughs> my notes are all about how horrible Molly's outfit is, right? So Zoe's down by the river. She sees a woman in like an ankle length dress and this big headband running with a baby in, it, in her arms wrapped in a blanket. And she runs up to the bridge and goes over it into a river that is not very big, though I don't doubt it has a current. No, no, no. It has no current. I double checked. <laughs> Two, you can clearly see Zoe struggling not to stand up in it. Yeah. Yeah. The actress is doing a good job there. I know it's, I understand it's a canal, mm -hmm. but there is no current. I double checked. I looked at a bunch of shots of that water and none of it is moving. But this whole scene is supposed to be a memory that she's recovering being back at this place that she doesn't know she's been to before. And so she is the baby who is in Molly's arms and clearly less than a year old. Now, it is a scientific fact that your hippocampus is not developed well enough to form long-term memories until you're at least two and a half. At least. Most people say four. No, Zoe's a special child. She's younger than a year and remembers every word her mom said to her and what she was wearing. Uh, I'm going to have to call bullshit on that. Yeah, I agree. If we had a bullshit alarm, whoop, 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 whoop. it'd be going off. So and, and that and so then she goes into the water to save this woman who's not really there because it's her mom and it's a memory. And the woman who's jumped off the bridge is yet another sister. She is the third sister. Constance and Miriam are the two evil sisters who survive. And Molly is the one who throws herself off the bridge and dies because that baby is a baby she's had by her dad. 
It is her daughter's sister. Yeah. And the, Miriam and Constance know all about it. I got to say, Barnaby's a great investigator, but the people who came before him were for crap. Yeah. Because 10 minutes into that, they would have been like, uh, you know who this is. Yeah. And you're somehow weirdly, oh, oh, you're very weirdly related. To, oh, okay, you're all going to jail. No, because they think she's just a strange girl who lives in the woods. Somehow, Sir Sir Michael has distanced himself from this In this daughter. abandoned house. Maybe Spoonman and her shared the house <laughs> for a while. No, because I think if she told Spoonman what was going on, he would have gone up to the big oh, house Spoon and taken Man care of it. would have taken care of Sir, <laughs> Sir Michael. He would have been like, the pudding club has passed judgment. <laughs> whack, whack, whack. So the cops arrive and they're trying to find this body, which isn't there. It's a memory. Right. And Zoe says this thing that really pisses me off (laughs) because I think it's bad man writing. Okay. Because she goes, it's my time of the month. And I'm just like, "What, what are you trying to do there? What are you trying to do as a writer, as an actress, as a character? See, I think she says that because... So teenage girls learn very early that saying it's something feminine related makes people shut up and leave you alone. I understand that, but it's cops. Cops deal with dead bodies all the time. They're not body afraid. No, but that's not who she says it to. She says it to the sisters who are wrapping her in a blanket and trying to take her back to the house. And I guess are like, oh, are you okay? Are you are you traumatized or whatever? And. You know, she's like, no, 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 no. So they don't find, they don't find a body. So at this point in time, okay, because I had forgotten and I just looked at the the stuff and the wiki pages and stuff. At this point in time, I think Constance and Miriam, Miriam are his sisters. Oh, that's what you thought. And then I'm like, they're his. (laughs) You thought they were Sir Michael's sisters? Yes. Yeah. No. They're kind of closer in age to that. They could be his sister daughters. Who knows? By the way. <laughs> he may not be the first generation to be so yucky. By the way, where is their mother? Yeah. She's never mentioned. The missing mother annoys me. I can only imagine. She's not even mentioned where she is. That maybe she um, landed at the bottom of the stairs. Oops. Yeah, like... And Miriam and Constance at the top in their little dresses. Sorry, Mommy. <laughs> like that. Put that scene in. Show me that they were crazy from the beginning. I just... Ugh. And we get this foreshadowing that is so heavy-handed because Barnaby notices a, a picture of Sir Francis Dalton and Sir Michael's uh, library. Yes. Dalton, sorry. Yes. Who invented fingerprinting, but he also coined the term eugenics. Yes. He invented that word. He was a half-cousin of Darwin. What is a half-cousin? I don't know. I couldn't even find an explanation of what a half-cousin is. Creepy. So he was a half-cousin of Darwin, and Darwin had the eugenics concept because of evolution, right? But he didn't ever call it that, nor did he ever apply it to people in the way that Galton did. Evolution was publicized. Yes. Because it's a scientific theory, so it's discovered and publicized Mm -hmm. in the middle of the 19th century. Mm -hmm. And everyone goes freaking nuts. Yeah, yeah. Nuts about this. Yeah. And that includes the people who 
like H.G. Wells and people like that who were like, I'm going to use this theory for good. The good of the white race. Yeah, the good of wealthy white people who I like. So those people, in hindsight, look like racist dickheads. Yes. Okay? But they thought... And actually, there's a Murdoch that does a good job of this, both making them look horrible and making them think that they're doing the right thing, Mm -hmm. that they are trying to save humanity from criminality, from downtroddenness into this perfected race, which then a little Austrian that we all know went... (laughs) Hey, I'm going to start a world war over this. I like this theory. I will use it yes. to my own advantage. So I, I, <laughs> I realize I we're, don't want to give them a free pass because no, of the but time we are judging them yeah. from from far into the future. But some people I just cannot put in that context and say they didn't realize the implications and they actually had goodness in their hearts because. So like George Bernard Shaw, everybody knows who he is, right? Yeah. He promoted, not just supported or mentioned, he promoted the use of lethal gas chambers in 1910. Yes. So way before Hitler. Yeah. Right? Hitler is still a painter at that point, a failed painter. And George Bernard Shaw is saying that we should round up people who are less than perfect and put them into lethal gas chambers for their own good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, everyone went mental. (laughs) Alexander Graham Bell. Yep. Whose wife was deaf. Yep. Said that we should determine the causes that promote intermarriage among deaf and dumb and remove them. It it just... Helen Keller was a eugenicist. Yes. How in the hell is Helen Keller a eugenicist? I... They thought they were doing the right thing. (laughs) But, like, what level of self-loathing do you need to be a eugenicist who is also born deaf and blind? Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Any, oh, anyway, blah, 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 blah. This is one of those themes we're going to let go. Okay? We're just going to let it go. Yep. Because, blah. Poor Benedict. Not only does he have no parents, he's self-taught, and he doesn't get picked for the master class, but he has really bad hair. They could have done, I I wish. And that's his real hair. Yeah, I wish. It makes it worse. I wish they had done this with this episode. All of the people who are piano people in this episode, Zoe, Francesca, Orlando, Orlando, Benedict, Benedict, who are all Shakespeare characters, by the way. Yes. Um, they're not weird enough. Like they're not prodigy weird enough. Yeah. Like they're Benedict, too acclimated. Benedict should be weirder. I, I think Benedict is probably weird, just weird enough. He's clearly obsessed with piano. He's more devoted, I think, than anybody because he's self-taught. It's not like he's got parents saying you're going to learn and we're going to take you to lessons and everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the other three are way too well acclimated and socialized yes. to, to be these child prodigy pianists. Well, it's like it's like any child who grows up learning a particular specified skill, right? They lose out on other things, right? Because you can't spend time with friends if you're playing piano all the time. Right? And, and what it does, especially in chess prodigies. Math prodigies, music prodigies, sometimes in sporting prodigies, mm-hmm. is you get these childlike adults. 
Yeah. Right. Because they've missed out on developmental stages. I wish they had kind of done more of that with Benedict. I think they tried. Yeah. But it misses out. Well, and then Orlando, his mom seems to be shaping him into something else. I I don't know what the the final game is for her in Orlando. It's... It's not for him to be the best pianist in the world. No. It's almost like she's raising him to be a... A Lothario. A super spy Lothario. Yeah. Gigolo, take I, advantage of people person. I don't know. I, I don't feel comfortable talking about my relationships with my mother, and I'm 51. <laughs> <laughs> He's barely an adult, and she is encouraging him to sleep with two girls. Yeah. Uh, to get ahead. And then... Using her own sexuality for her son's advantage with Sir Michael. And we never see that, like, we never see that you work so hard, so you've given up these things. Mm -hmm. Like, Zoe should have a moment where she goes, I don't have friends, and I don't even know how to make friends. Yeah. You know, that sort of moment. So I looked into child prodigy piano players, especially. Mm -hmm. And of course, Glenn Gould comes up. Glenn Gould's a Canadian piano pianist who is world renowned for being two things one being an amazing piano player and being a giant freakazoid on top of <laughs> right in in ways that are not creepy so yeah. so glenn gould grew up in canada playing his family piano and this is like the story of Glenn Gould is really inspirational in that he his parents had nothing. They were and he grew up and played the biggest concert halls in the world, mm-hmm. right? And he learned on his family's horribly tuned piano and he just banged it out. That's mm-hmm. what he did over and over. His mother was a piano piano teacher, but he just banged it out, right? So two things he did that drove people insane. The first thing is he sung what he was playing while he was playing it. Oh, that ruins a concert. Now, you go to a concert, there's no microphone on him. So you can't hear him. It's a, it's in the piano and in the space in the room. Yeah. You know, you're not going to hear him. So under his breath. So he's going. Of course, all of it is slightly off time. Of course. Right. And he probably didn't have a good singing voice. Because he can play faster than he can sing. Yeah. But where you hear this, and I've heard this because he they've released recordings of not only the finished recording, but the practice sessions and things like that of some of his recordings, is when he's in the studio and a super quiet environment with like 10 microphones around the room with the you can so hear it. <laughs> some audio engineer is like, oh man, so can you please tell him to stop singing? Rove audio engineer is insane <laughs> with this talking that he would do constantly and you could hear it right and he would he would get into these antagonal relationships with the the engineer he was never a mean person that i can find he was never a horrible person like sir michael but he was passionate to a fault mm-hmm. about what he did mm-hmm. and so if you interrupted him he got upset yeah the second thing about Gould is 
he had this chair that he played that had to be 14 inches away from the piano. His father made this chair. It's a folding wooden chair. He played every concert of his life on that chair. Wow. Even to the point where it was falling apart. And he insisted on having he that chair. He said that chair was more important than Bach to him. Wow. But again, you're in the studio and you can hear this on the recordings. He moves a bit. So you hear this. <laughs> and you can hear the engineer be like, oh. Meanwhile, his dad's like, if I'd known that you were going to use that chair for your whole life, I would have made it better. Jeez, come on. <laughs> so that's Glenn Gould, and that's good enough. But then I found this other story that is super interesting. So this is the, the article I found. This is how it started. Okay. Not long after World War II, a small impres uh, impresario in London, in Los Angeles, named Erwin Parnes, heard what he thought was a great pianist at a cocktail party for Hungarians. He gave the performer his address, and the pianist he learned was in his forties and living in a flop house in San Francisco. Okay, this guy's destitute. Okay, right. He had been a child prodigy, but now was down on his luck. So Parnas gets with this guy, and they come up with this plan that they're going to bring him back into the favor of Hollywood, especially. Okay. By giving these performances where he wears a hangman's hood and calls himself Mr. X. <laughs> So he's playing in one of those black leather hoods with a it's eye holes? It's silk. It's silk. Okay. There are pictures of this. It's brilliant. Okay. So, of course, everybody was so like, he's, he's a criminal. He's pianist. mysterious. Yeah. He's a mental patient. It turns out this guy, his name is Evan Irvin. Sorry. Irvin Nigahazi. I'm, okay. su I'm sure I'm butchering that name. Okay. Okay. When he was eight, he played for the Queen of England in Buckingham. Wow. And he ends up in L.A. living in a flop house? Yes. Bad management. He got to be super good friends with Gloria Swanson and Bella Lugosi. But the movies didn't want his playing. It was too flourished. Too, yeah. You know. Um, but this guy is like the touchstone of the 20th century. The San Francisco, uh, Bella Lugosi. He played piano as part of the Works Pro uh, Progress Administration. Like, that was part of what they did was put on concerts, mm -hmm. and he did part of that. It's like if you did six degrees of separation, he's connected to, like, everybody. So many people. And he went on to fame and a good life, but he, he got... He had a rough patch. He had a rough patch and had to wear a hood and play as Mr. X. Maybe that's what will happen to Benedict. You know, maybe this is the rough patch in his early career where he's playing at the Olive Garden or whatever, and later on he'll be rediscovered as this amazing pianist and have a great career and get a new haircut. <laughs> maybe. So they have another production, another concert, and they announce that the three moving on are Francesca, Zoe, Orlando, and everyone else is out, but we only know that it's Dominic. Like, Okay, it's Benedict. Benedict, sorry. We only know it's Benedict. And he freaks out, rightly so. This poor child has not had a lot of socialization. 
He no. lives in a hut in the woods. Yeah. Really, I mean, you know, there's a dozen kids in this winter school and only three of them are going to move on, but really four of them exist. We don't know about anybody else except these four. And yeah, he gets angry. He says, I'm going to show you. And then he, and, and he, if he just said that, if he just said, I'm going to show you, you'll see, and then walked out, he would have been okay. But then he stops again and turns around and he goes, I'll show you all. And he like spits all oh. over the place. <laughs> Meanwhile, the rector's like, would you like to come play our organ? Their organ is a nice organ. This is Reverend Gregory and his sidekick, Sister Agnes. Yes. And they want her to come play the organ. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, it'll ruin your touch, Zoe, dear. Please don't play the organ. It'll ruin your touch. Like, if you press, if you play an organ where you have to press the keys harder, you'll never be able to play piano again. Oh, it's, it's utter bullcrap. And Zoe's like, I, it's fine. I play organ all the time. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> They just don't want her to talk to certain so they to, go off. to Reverend Gregory because he'll say, "I know about where you came from." Yes. <laughs> so they go off to this church, which is like sort of Catholic and sort of Anglican. Yeah. Sort of has nuns. And, oh, it's just weird. And in the meantime, there's this whole Orlando Francesca subplot where she freaks out. Like she should be able to read him like a book. Yeah. And she doesn't. And that annoys me. And her father annoys me, but he's harmless. Yeah. Right? He doesn't know his limits. But don't forget, we also have Zoe's parents booking in at the inn in town. Right? They're renting a room there. Because apparently none of these parents have jobs that they need to get to. Like, they don't just drop their kids off at camp and go home. They hang out for two weeks five weeks, whatever it is. And they get shown their room at the inn. And the guy who's running the inn is also one of Fielding's kids. He's Constance and, and uh, Who's Miriam's afraid brother, of the light. But he cannot handle the light. He's like, <laughs> when they open the blinds, <laughs> oh no. Do not light the light. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. That's not <laughs> weird. By the way. We are an hour into this episode. And nobody's died. And no one has even had an attempted murder That's yet. like the real episode. It's 54 minutes in before somebody dies. Oh. I'm like, who's going to die and when? Come on. Come on. Give us a body. It's just horrible. We get the first. Zo- Zoe plays. The organ. And then somebody plays, tries to kill yeah. her with some roof tiles. Because the Fantasia Jesu Mere Freud. I'm sure I butchered that. Jesus is my joy. Every church in England has a bad roof. If yes. it was built last year, it's got a bad roof. Well, luckily no they have the tiles on a little slippery thing yes. and it'll push them right <laughs> off the edge. And and no church has the money to repair their, their roof. They're always trying to raise money for a roof. Luckily, St. Cecile's has raised enough money to buy two stacks of tiny tiles. Two stacks of tiny tiles, but they're going straight at Barnaby's head. One of How which, do they know that yeah, Barnaby's there? One of which Miriam shoves off the roof. Yep. How are they going to raise the money to replace that stack of tiles? Oh, it's going to take them five years. It's going to take them five years. <laughs> and Barnaby dodge, does his dexterity check with no problem. No. It's not even close to him. Yeah. He even manages to grab Zoe and get her out of the way just in case. But then when the forensics guys come, they they seem to be collecting every piece of terracotta from the ground. They, they are. They've got those little yellow markers next to like every fragment. <laughs> Now, at this point in time, and we make fun of people who don't do this, 
But at this point in time, Zoe's parents are like, we don't care about this stupid prize. Mm -hmm. We don't care what's going on here. We're going home. Yeah. And we're taking Zoe with us. Which is what they should have done. Exactly. It would have solved everything. Yeah. But what it did was sign their death warrants because Miriam and Constance are like, (laughs) you cannot take Zoe away from us. We are going to kill you. Zoe stays with us. Because now they're French Russians or something. Uh, we get to see Constance's car. Yes. Oh, Constance's car. It's only in one scene. It's a 1956 Cadillac Viewmaster. Yes. It's a Woody. It's a 50s Woody Cadillac station wagon. Yep. And it is a thing of beauty. Yes. I want that car. Yep. Cadillac actually didn't produce them. They are all concept cars. There's like 10 of them with the wood. Gorgeous car. And then uh, Cadillac gave licenses to a few more people to to make concept modifications to their cars. And that's where we get Ecto-1. From the Ghostbusters. Yes. That is a concept modification of a Cadillac Viewmaster turned into a ambulance slash hearse. I didn't think we'd get to Ghostbusters in this episode, but we did. But oh my gosh, I want that car so bad. Yes, it's gorgeous. <laughs> it's 45 minutes in and no one is dead. No one is dead. Zoe goes back to the house. Sir Michael's going to have dinner with Orlando's mother. It's creepy. Creep, creep, creep. And now Zoe's going to go stay with her parents in the pub. That's their, they uh, they reach an agreement. She's not going to have to go home, but she is going to sleep at the pub with her parents. And at the pub, they're singing Parlez-vous. Parlez-vous. So this is Mademoiselle from Antiers, uh, English song particularly popular during World War What I. does it mean? Uh it, it's just a kind of nonsense song of... Parlez-vous is like, play with me, isn't it? Or something like no, that? No, talk to me. Talk to me? Yeah. But they see the picture of Mad Molly. Yes. Hanging up. Okay, so her brother runs this inn and pub. Yes. He's the one playing piano, so he's not yes. too bad at the old Joanna. Did you notice in that picture that there's a dude with a creepy thing? No. There. Okay, let's get Mad Molly and put her in a picture with everybody. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wait, I need my sickle. There's a guy with a giant sickle <laughs> at the side of the picture. Like uh, like the Grim Reaper sickle? Yes. It's as tall as he is. Wow. There's a crime we don't know about. <laughs> Why would they even hang a picture that had Molly in it in the pub? Uh, like I everybody's trying know. to forget Molly. Yeah. Nobody, They don't want anybody to know about her. Yeah. Her brother runs the pub. It's up to him whether the picture's hanging there, and he's got it hanging there. Why? That's bad cover-up. Yeah. It just Joyce is reading the book. She's reading all about Galton. Yes, she's, she's reading. She's like, what do you know? He was a eugenicist. A life of Sir Francis Galton from the from the African exploration to his birth to the birth of eugenics by Nicholas Wright Gillum. Is the, the title book. sort of gives it away. Yeah, is the book that he's writing. Uh, she's reading. I looked up Nicholas Wright Gillum in a hope that I would find something interesting that wasn't related to incest or crazy crap that's in this episode. No, he was a an academic who wrote books like this. Yeah. And he wrote science books and he wrote textbooks. And uh, he passed away. He seemed to be a very nice man. Well, 58 minutes in, Zoe agrees to meet Orlando at 10 o'clock in a bird hide. 
So they're off to the booty hide. Yes. But meanwhile, Miriam and Constance are standing around in the woods. <laughs> How they know she's going to go, I, I do not know. But they must overhear him making plans because they're always lurking. And Barnaby is at the cop shop and it's light outside. And then it's suddenly dark outside when they go to explore the creepy old house. Why would the council let this creepy old house be around? It's in the Devington Woods, and I think Sir Michael owns part of them. So it's not up to the council that that house stands there. I'm surprised there's not a couple standing there going, we really want to buy this house and renovate it. Is somebody going to come kill us? (laughs) We should renovate this house. Yes. So in that house, they find a doll. They find the doll when they take Zoe back there later. Okay. This time they find the heme arginate. Yes. Which is a medication for porphyria. Which is a disease, which is a medication for the disease. As much as I could find about porphyria, there are several different versions of porphyria, and each version has its own set of symptoms. And it also ranges wildly from like acute to like very short term porphyria to like being a... Uh, a long, a lifelong kind of condition. So there really isn't a symptom you can say isn't related to porphyria at all because somebody has experienced it with some version of it. Being a vampire? But it is, it, it is known that people with cutaneous porphyria can have light sensitivity that is so severe that just being exposed to sun can cause their skin to blister and they can lose fingers and noses and ears to it. So it's not too far of a reach for him to act like, like a vampire when the sun hits him, but the sunglasses wouldn't help. It's not your eyes that are sensitive. It's your skin. No. And let's be clear. They point out that Michael, Sir Michael has porphyria Mm -hmm. making him, Less than perfect as breeding stock. Eugenically imperfect. Yes. And his four children, Constance and Miriam, seem crazy, but physically okay. Yes. His son, the barkeeper, has extreme porphyria, can't even be out in the sun. Yep. And his other daughter, Molly, he says was insane. Yeah. Where where are the good genes in this? But 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 it's it's on him. It's but beholden to him to save the British race. They sure can tickle the ivories. What? <laughs> He should have just cloned himself if he thought he was so perfect. All of his kids are broken. Oh, he should have done all sorts of things that he didn't do, but... Why he would think his granddaughter daughter would be better, I don't know. Let's... I know. Let's take weird idea about eugenics and add incest to it, and that will make an even better breeding stock. Wrong. Sorry. No. Backwards. Let's talk about the doll. Okay. It's not too long before they take Zoe to okay. the, to the yeah. little house in the woods. But she remembers everything about it because... Remember, she has prenatal memories, basically. She, yes, she she remembers conversations from the womb when she wants to. What does the doll say when she pulls its string? I don't know. It's creepy. It says, you're a good girl. Yes, you're a good girl. Or who's a good girl? I can't remember which. Dolls have always creeped me out. Yes. I've never liked them. You're not alone. When I was a kid, I didn't have doll babies. My sister didn't have doll babies. We were not interested in them. By the way, no one is dead in this episode yet. Oh, well, yeah. At this point, by the time they take Zoe back to the house, Orlando has been hung underneath the bird hide by the evil sisters. The booty hide. The booty hide. Sorry, I called it the bird hide again. So the doll they find is a doll that she would have had before she was a year old. Yes. 
before she was able to even pull that string and make it talk. Yes. But she remembers it and knows what it's going to say. Well, it is creepy as crap. So those things have a way of marking your psyche. (laughs) It is by far not the creepiest doll ever. I mean, it's old and it's dirty and it's undressed. So, of course, it's creepy. And it's got the sleepy eyes that when you tip its head, its eyes open and shut, which are creepy, too. All creepy. But these creepy talking dolls go way back, right? Edison made the first talking doll. He put a um, a tiny phonograph inside of it with a cylinder that had a recording on it. That it, it sang two things, but the most dominant one was Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Which but, we have a recording of. Oh my gosh. To record it, because recording was so early then, right? It wasn't easy to capture the sound. Yes. So he hired a teenage girl... To yes. basically scream at the phonograph to record it. Yes, and it sounds like this. Now, just imagine your kid's doll sounding like that every time they pulled the string. So the way they recorded this is like any early recording, which was on a wax cylinder. Mm-hmm. They would have, they, they had no microphone at this point in time. Microphones hadn't been invented. Right. right. So they had a needle on the wax c- cylinder that made an indentation that moved when you moved the diaphragm by speaking loudly into a like a big speaker cone, basically. Yeah, like a big horn. Yeah. And you had to speak really loud to make it vibrate enough to yeah. actually record it. You had it. to shout to do this. Nor could they copy them. So for every doll that Edison sold, that girl had to scream into that thing to make that wax cylinder. They are horrible. But- Can you catch me, Murdoch? <laughs> Sorry, there's a Murdoch episode with creepy dolls where James Geely's is uh, oh, creepy in it and... And Catch me, Murdoch, if you can. If you can. <laughs> it's, oh, oh. it's so great, babe. <laughs> it gets stuck in your head. But, you know, that was meant to be creepy. There were so many other talking dolls that were released, like by Mattel and other comp- toy companies, that weren't meant to be creepy, but they are. Okay. There's no way around it. Um, Chatty Cathy. Yeah. Is one that everybody's heard of because now Chatty Cathy is like kind of like an idiom now. You say if, if somebody talks too much, you say, oh, she's a Chatty Cathy. He's a Chatty Cathy. Well, and there's a Twilight Zone episode that directly references Chatty Cathy with Telly Savalas in it, which is fantastic. Well, she was released in the 60s and she said things like, I love you. Please take me with you. Please change my dress. And I hurt myself. Oh. <laughs> which is... Uh, why did you include that? Yeah. But then um, there was an earlier doll called Shrinking Violet who was supposed to be really, really shy. Um, she was super advanced. She wasn't a pretty doll at all. Okay. But her eyes and her mouth moved when she talked. Okay. And she's, I, I sent you a video. You can include it in the notes. She says things like, it's hard to be so shy. Or grown-ups are way too big for me. Oh, oh, oh she's creepy. Creepy. But my favorite, I have two favorites talking dolls that, that are, one is creepy and one is just so weird. In the 60s, Mattel uh, released this doll called Scuba Doo. 
Okay. And she was a beatnik. Oh. She had long, straight, hippie hair. Oh. And a little dress. And she said things like, play it cool, don't be a square. (laughs) And I'm hip, you know, like a beatnik. (laughs) And I dig food. Like, when do we eat? Hey, doll, like, you're way out. My favorite, though, is dig my crazy black stockings. (laughs) Oh, that's so weird. I dig food. Like, when do we eat? Uh, But then there was Little Miss Echo. Yeah. Little Miss Echo was super advanced in the 60s. She had a 15-second tape loop recorder inside of her. Okay? So she's got this little, like, brooch at the base of her neck in the front of her dress that is actually a knob. Yeah. You turn it one way to record, and you turn it the other way to play. So you could record stuff on this? 15 oh, seconds of oh audio, you could record. Oh, my gosh. Right? Little brothers took advantage of that. Oh, my gosh. The best story I found was of this guy who played, he and his brother would play tricks on their little sister with it. And what they recorded into it is, I'm going to cut off your head. <laughs> <laughs> so when she turned the knob, that's what it said. She thought she had recorded in it like, let's have a tea party. But since she had recorded that, they had said, I'm going to cut off your head. And then <laughs> so they turned the knob. That's what the doll said. All right. She's just... She's just terrifying. And, and it doesn't stop there. There are dolls that walk and, uh, oh, you know, now there yeah. are dolls that pee and everything else. Yeah. But gosh, talking dolls have always creeped me out. And the fact that Zoe picks up that doll in that creepy old house and it's dirty and it's like half recollection of something traumatic. And it says, who's a good girl? I would have just dropped it. I yeah. would have just screamed and dropped it. <laughs> like... Get these Satan away from me. <laughs> There's no way. I would have been like, oh, <laughs> what a sweet doll. No, no, no. Something we're going to skip over, but we're going to recognize it here as for what it is, mm-hmm. which is maybe one of the most uncomfortable scenes in In Midsummer. an uncomfortable episode. In an uncomfortable episode. Yeah. Is the dinner date between Sir Michael and Orlando's mother. Yes. It is. It is an embarrassment for the writers, the directors, the actors, and any viewer who watches it. And it makes you just want to go, like, take a shower, wash your brain. It is horrendous that she is willing to do that. Yes. For her son's benefit. It is horrendous that he is up for it. Yes. It is horrendous that it was written. And it is horrendous that Barnaby breaks in and interrupts them and says, your child is dead. It's... You know, and I don't think I don't think Sir Michael is fooled by her at all. I think he knows exactly why she's doing it, and he's willing to take advantage of that situation. Yeah, because she's a beautiful woman, right? So you know, he's not he's not going to turn her down. Now, how she thinks that's going to make her son a better piano player? (laughs) You know, like I I don't I don't get that. Well, George knows everything about Porphyria, and he didn't jump. Yeah, Orlando was hit in the back of the head with something heavy, and then he was hung, and he wasn't dead when he was strung up. So he died by strangulation. And then it's like the piano music, the music starts, because then the priest is dead, like five seconds later. They wait an hour to kill anybody, and then they kill two people in five minutes. The priest has a DNA test. that If the priest... And the nun had gone and talked to Barnaby right away. None of this would have happened. None of this would have happened. But instead, they're in cahoots. So Sister Agnes 
gets Zoe to drink the communion wine and then conveniently neglects to wipe that part of the cup off and just turns it back to herself so they can swab it later because they're forensics nuns, I guess. (laughs) The order of forensic nuns. Yes. That's almost better than Socko Fox. The booty hide and the order of forensic (laughs) nuns is the name of this episode right there. I hurt myself. (laughs) The way they kill Reverend Gregory is so bad. He's kneeling in prayer. They pull his head back, slit his throat with a razor, and then Constance carefully places his head back at the right angle so that the blood is all in front of him so that you can't tell he's dead from behind. They're just awful horrible by the way gail has a nice little car (laughs) this is how we got through this episode Mm. okay i've fallen in love with you the sisters the sisters present zoe to him says he's in love with her and Zoe, the 19-year-old. Will you do me the honor of spending one night with me? Oh, my God, Zoe. And she's going to go. She's Why is she going to go? And the sisters are outside in their specially built pee-pee window to watch oh. this happen. They're all so gross. Ick. My, my notes say ick, 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 ick. <laughs> He says, Don't you feel it too? No, you creepy old man. Get no. away from me. And that, and Jones is like on the phone with Zoe. Get out of the house, Zoe. It's not safe. Get out. And uh, Barnaby just takes the phone and goes, Zoe, he's your dad, grandpa. He's <laughs> she's like, oh, and then she's out <laughs> like he's not beating around the bush. Now, one thing I do like is then immediately the sisters are like, well, you're dumb. you're dead to us. Yeah. How dare you? Yeah. Well, I, mean, I think they still want her, but they don't care if she's willing anymore because she's an ungrateful bitch. That's what Constance yes. says. Yeah. Or Miriam says. And and then, of course, their creepy vampire brother is just in the woods, happened to be in the woods lurking, waiting in case I've Zoe decided to run away. Bridge. <laughs> Sisters, I will catch our sister cousin daughter. Daughter cousin. <laughs> Gr- mom person. Okay, the cops arrive. It's all broken up. Mm-hmm. Is Sir Michael there or not? Like, does he follow them out into the woods to yes. catch her? I think he does. I okay. think he's in the back. So but... then why the hell do they say, okay, the we'll rest you of you are going to the cop shop. Yeah. Why are we going to take you back to the house so you could have one final play on your piano? Okay, let's pretend he didn't follow them out into the woods. They just went, he just said, catch her. And then he stayed there. Yep. And how's a drink? And does nothing but spew garbage. Orlando had a dreadful left hand. (laughs) That's funny. I didn't notice he had a craw for one of his hands. We never even (laughs) covered that Zoe's parents are put in a car crash by the sisters. Oh, yeah, because, you know, Miriam is also a mechanic. She puts on her coveralls and rolls under their car and disconnects their brakes. Michael says British people are degenerating into a nation of halfwits. Yes. Okay, Look around you, dude. Yes. You are responsible for that. Yes. Because your children are perfect examples of this. Yes. He's just, ugh. And then we end it with Benedict playing at the local. No, no, no. Before that, we have Zoe at her mother's grave. Yeah, her real mother's grave. Her Her real mother's mother's grave grave. with her parents in a nice touching scene with the Barnabies creeping in the background. Yeah, why are they there? Why are they even there? I don't imagine that Zoe's family notified them. We're going to the cemetery today to put flowers on molly's grave 
Joyce is just wandering around with a clipboard looking for Joyce knows do. where to be. Yeah. All the time. She does. To be in the middle of it. So. so then they go for dinner. And of course, I completely lose the plot because there's a woman like staring at her cell phone like it's the greatest thing ever. What is it like a flip phone or something? No, no. She is just like a just smartphone. Smart but she's she it's right in front of her face and she's staring right at it. She must have been hesitant extra. And so yep. they said, You can just yep. look at your phone. Yeah. And they see Dominic. Where does Dominic His name is Benedict? Sorry. Where What is wrong with you? <laughs> we see Dominic Benedict. And he's in a, a three piece. He's, he's in, in a tux. He's in a tux. Where does he keep that tux in the hut? It's the same tux he wore for the recital. Okay. So I'm guessing he bought it secondhand. I guess. He keeps it in a duffel or something. And Barnaby is like, okay, let's take it. Why don't they stop and say, you're a great piano player? Yeah, what did he ever do wrong to them? <laughs> like He didn't try to kill anybody. There is a missing scene that causes that, I think. Or they just don't want anything to do with piano music or anybody who plays it yeah. for a while. They're just done with it. Yeah. And he is like, the woman asks him to play some Lionel Richie. He's like, okay. I don't know if he's like, okay. I think he's placating her and with sarcasm. But he's going to play it. What song is he going to play? Three Times the Lady. <laughs> I think he's going to play Hello. Okay. <laughs> is it me you're looking for? Do yourself a favor. Take five minutes and watch the hello video and understand it is the creepiest music video from the 1980s of all time. It is also creepy. Not as creepy as this episode of Midsummer, but it is also creepy. It's fantastically creepy. Best corpse. <laughs> nice corpse. Best corpse. We only have Orlando and Reverend Gregory to choose from. I'm going to I'm gonna go Orlando. I think really? Really? No, no, sorry, uh, Gregory, because we see more of him. Yeah. Yeah. And he gets his throat slit. Yeah. After the credits? Okay. Is Zoe going to keep playing piano, or is she done? I, I got to think that she's probably like, I'm not. Okay, first of all, let's talk about the cavalcade of people going to jail. Yes. Okay. Jonas, Constance, Miriam, and Sir Michael mm-hmm. all go to jail. Yes. Okay. Orlando's mother has no child and no direction in her life now. Nope. I think she's going to go and be a floozy for some other purpose now, I guess. I think Simon Sharp and Francesca Sharp turn out the best because her competition has been decimated. Yeah. And she sort of dodged a bullet there. You know, like she wasn't out at the hide with Orlando. She didn't get bashed nope. and, and hung up, too. Nope. I think she dodges a bullet. I think Zoe never wants to do anything related to piano again. Can't blame her. I don't know who's going to maintain the the mansion that the Fieldings live in. Maybe they'll donate it to the well, trust or something. Okay. I would think that Zoe would have claim on it. Oh my gosh, that's true. Yeah. She's the last living relative of the Fieldings. She could take that place. She could easily take that place, sell it off, and live high in the hog with her parents. Yep. And she deserves it. Maybe give a little to Benedict. And Sister Agnes is yeah. just going to be sad. She's sad because she obviously loves the priest. Yeah. She and Reverend Gregory are close. Yeah. Oh, wow. Did you know that James Fox, who plays Sir Michael in this, was in Gulliver's Travels with Ted Danson? No. Ted Danson plays Gulliver. I, I know Ted Danson did at Gulliver's Travels. I didn't know that he was in it, though. He was also in a movie with Mick Jagger called Performance about a rock star. 
This movie is terrible. Ha, I bet Mark's seen it. Horrible movies. Are you ready? I'm ready. I really only have one. Okay. Because I, I found two. Okay. But one, I'm I'm more comfortable thinking you've never seen it, but I'm going to tell you about it. Okay. <laughs> so Elizabeth Bell, who plays Sister Agnes in this episode, yes. was in a movie called Pinocchio. Oh, okay. But it's not the Disney Pinocchio. Okay. This is a 1971 Pinocchio. Subtitled, The Erotic Adventures of Pinocchio. It's live action. Stop. The tagline is, it's not his nose that grows. I've never seen this movie. I've never, ever seen this movie. But like... I think Sister Agnes is naked in this movie. (laughs) Oh! The naked order of forensic nuns. (laughs) And the booty hide. Best title of an episode ever. Mostly because it completely overlooks all of the horrible things that happen in this episode. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, so I've got one movie for you. Um, This is a 1988 movie, and Nadia Cameron uh, Blakey, who plays Orlando's mom, is in this movie. Who looks stupid familiar to me. She's really young in this, but she's in this. Not, Not child young. She's like in her early 20s. And to be... To be blunt, she is an heir of a woman who would have no problem shedding her clothes to be in a movie. Um, at least the the role she's playing in this episode seems to be that yeah. kind of person. Yeah. yeah. You can't really say the actress is like that. Not but. that there's anything wrong with shedding your clothes to be in a movie if you're absolutely okay with it. True. Okay, so in this movie, the Lady of the Lake is reincarnated and with the help of a reincarnated knight, try to stop an evil wizard from ending time on Halloween night. This is a Halloween movie. Yes, I've seen this movie. Isn't it called like October 31st or something? Like it's a Halloween-y? October 32nd. Oh, I was <laughs> close. It's, it's hard to give you hints about it because... So Nadia Cameron Blakey plays the Lady of the Lake. Yeah, I've seen this movie. And she and this this knight are trying to stop Merlin from acquiring the sword on Halloween night. So this this is a 1988 movie and it's set in the 80s. All right. So everybody's come back to life from or you know the dark ages. Okay. So this is this is Excalibur and Friday the 13th put together. Yes. Which is so in my wheelhouse. Yes. Which is why I saw this movie. Merlin wants to steal the sword on Halloween night, which will create October 32nd. Oh. And end time. And they have to stop him. The 80s had a real problem with Merlin. They tried to figure out if he was a good guy or a bad guy. Certainly Excalibur deals with that yeah they, and, they can't decide yeah and then you had the mr merlin television show where he was super super good and there was all sorts of weird merlin stuff in the 80s yep there's also a wizard named young who helps them i, I don't know that. no october 32nd look it up on imdb so you I'll, get a point for that one good job i'll put the poster in the show notes oh it's quite the poster along with all sorts of baby doll craziness <laughs> Oh, that's masterclass. We made it through it. We did. We did. We deserve a masterclass. Phew. That was a masterclass in avoiding things. Our next episode is The Noble Art. Season 13, episode 679, The Noble Art. Yes. Which is, of course, boxing. Yes. And the third to last. We only have two episodes after that one of Tom and yep. Joyce. We have uh, Noble Art, 
not in my backyard, and then the fit one fit for murder. Fit for murder. Oh, look out for evil sisters. Avoid talking baby dolls and bird hides. Yeah. That's my advice. Yep. Do All not. Right allow your children to become prodigies at weird schools. <laughs> I tried to look up weird music schools, but as almost a re- uh, response to this notion of music teachers being creepy sort of sexual mm-hmm. predators, they're all super open and super upfront about No things. one is ever alone at our piano yeah, camp. It's kind of like that. <laughs> I did find one for adults. Uh, So it's a piano class for adults at this inn in in New Hampshire. It's $2,500 for the week. And you get lessons with masters and things like Mm -hmm. that. And then there's a concert at the end that is no filming and no... It's like going to rock and roll camp or something. It's like going to rock and roll camp. But I'm like, that is a setting for... That is a better setting for a murder mystery than this. Yeah, to do with pianists? Yeah. Yeah, that would be better. Yeah. Oh, goodbye, Masterclass. Let us never speak of you again. Oh, until we get to the stag one. Ugh. Uh, so. Let's not even do that. Until next time. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs.